0: Second lesson is a long and well-known passage, um, stoned a bit as the Jerusalem Conference. And it's where uh, Peter essentially gets called on the carpet and has a very strong response to the rest of the believers. Now, the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were in Judea heard that Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up Peter, kill and eat. But I replied by no means Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were the spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us these six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house he told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter he will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, proclaiming the Lord Jesus the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the church, to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced, and he exhorted them, exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year, he met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. At that time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the spirit that there would be severe famine all over the world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. The disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to give a brief word of introduction again of Benjamin and Tricia and then turn it back over to them. Benjamin and Tricia uh, joined the church officially my first Easter here, which was uh, 12 years ago now. And... uh, have raised Miriam and Peregrine here. And then at one point we hosted a visiting missionary who was a faculty member at, Lith- at LCC in Klaipeda, Lithuania, a Presbyterian mission co worker came through and spoke to the prayer group and to our Wednesday morning book group. And uh, several years later, she retired. And what do you know, Benjamin and Tricia felt called to that position. With a lot of prayer, a lot of figuring out, is this going to work? How's this going to work? How do we do this? Can we do this? All of those sorts of things. They decided, eh, God will take care of it. I'm giving you a lot of credit there, Benjamin and Tricia. Um, And moved the entire family. They tend to come back to the States and visit us every summer. And one of the things they really bring us other than Miriam and Peregrine, who we're really interested in seeing, is a flavor for how the gospel is different and sounds different at different places in the world, even at the same time. So every year they bring back to us their experience of the gospel being lived out in Lithuania. And it's a different narrative than what we have here. And that is their blessing and their gift to us every year. Benjamin and Tricia, thank you.
1: Thank you.
2: Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean.
1: So the week before we left Lithuania to travel to the US this spring, we got a message from our landlord that he's raising the rent on our apartment. This is not really a surprise with prices for nearly everything going up dramatically in Lithuania this year, but it pushes a button for me, a kind of fundamental uncertainty that I seem to have about having a place to live that I can count on. Perhaps this comes from being kicked off campus to find our own place after our first year at LCC, despite our contract stating that on-campus housing would be provided. Or maybe it just comes from living as a Christian pilgrim in a world that is not my home. Reflecting on this has led me to reflect on all the ways that uncertainty has become obvious in our lives. When we moved to Lithuania in 2016, we were startled and then appreciative of how last minute everything is there. Instead of planning things exhaustively months or years in advance, as Americans do, or did before COVID, we really enjoyed not having to think so far ahead and making decisions at a point when we actually have enough information to go on. COVID, of course, has upped the experience of uncertainty for all of us. When we talked to my parents about our arrival in the US a few weeks before we left, they asked about whether we needed anything when we arrived at their place. We stared blankly for a few moments and then said, we can't really think that far ahead. Two weeks is way too far. Even thinking ahead to tomorrow seems difficult because who knows what's going to happen. But even though it may seem that we should be used to uncertainty by now, after two years of COVID and an unexpected invasion of Ukraine, I still don't really like it. I don't like it that I have trouble thinking ahead now because I have learned that I don't know what will happen. I want to be able to depend on the way things are. I want the Lithuania I moved to to stay the same as it was, although I admit that it's handy to be able to use credit cards now. I want the uncertainties to be the familiar uncertainties, like whether the bus will come on time or whether there will be brown sugar in the store. I want to know that I can live in my nice apartment and can continue to afford to do so. I want to know what the rules are so I can follow them correctly and not mess up. I want to experience God's faithfulness in ways that are familiar and comfortable for
2: me. I wonder if we can relate. Even if we can't actually ever be completely certain about anything, it seems we often feel we need at least the illusion of certainty, the reassurance of familiar ways of doing things. We want at least to be able to think that God will do his thing on our terms. We want to feel at home here, And when we can't avoid seeing that our feelings of home, of reassurance, of certainty, are revealed as illusions, what then? Well then, it is in this place that we proclaim the good news. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa, for Simon, who's called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I to think I could stand in God's way?
1: As I read this passage from Acts, certain words and phrases really jump out at me, and they seem to tell a story that responds to my worries about uncertainty. Let's start at the beginning. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea have heard that Peter has gone to Caesarea and eaten with a centurion and the Italian regiment, Cornelius, and a large gathering of people at his house, breaking God's laws of purity and holiness. Clearly not okay. Actually, that's not what the passage says. It says the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. They heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. The passage makes clear that they heard the heart of what happened, not just rumors that Peter broke the rules. So what do they do? Do they rejoice at what God is doing? No. When Peter arrives in Jerusalem, they criticize him and say, you broke the rules. I don't know about you, but this sounds like a familiar church situation. Someone follows the spirits leading into something where God is clearly at work and the church responds by saying to that person, you broke the rules. That's not the way God does things.
2: So Peter tells them the whole story. He had this vision in which God told him to kill and eat animals that the law prohibits them from eating. Peter shocked says no to God, surely not Lord. Nothing impure and unclean has ever, been, ever entered my mouth. I follow your rules. God's responses do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Apparently God is changing the rules. How can that be? What can we depend on if God's rules change? If we can't depend on God's rules, have we fallen into complete relativism? Is God saying that anything goes? No, that's not what God has said here. God didn't simply say, don't call anything impure, God said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. God is not saying, just do whatever you want. But where God has been at work, things have changed. God has made something pure that was not pure before. God has made something new.
1: After this vision, the men from Caesarea arrive and ask Peter to come to Cornelius. And Peter realizes that this whole vision was not about eating animals at all. But about not calling anything impure that God has made clean, including Gentiles. The Spirit tells Peter to have no hesitation in going with them, and he does. I notice here the specific way in which Peter knows what God is asking him to do. Peter is listening to the Spirit. and As Peter speaks the good news of Jesus to a large gathering at Cornelius's house, the Holy Spirit moves again and comes on the Gentiles as on the disciples at the beginning it's interesting that this is the point at which Peter remembers what Jesus had said before Pentecost. Don baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus spoke these words, apparently they didn't have clear significance to Peter, but now they do. Peter remembered the words, and at the right time, they came to have meaning for him. And then Peter says something that clearly shows he has heard and understood the message of his earlier vision. If God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way?
2: Unfortunately, this time the church hears the message well as well and responds in the appropriate way. They had no further objections and praised God. And so I'm learning to hear the story as an example of how God reveals what God is doing. Peter was not running ahead of God, nor staying fixated on the way things were in the past but following after what God is doing as God reveals the way, step by step. If I want to follow what God is doing, I have to follow what God is doing now, not just what God has done in the past. Newness is part of what God does. Jesus gave the disciples a new command, love one another.
1: I am grateful for the gift of the lovely apartment we have had the privilege of living in for the past two years. And indeed, I hope that we will live there for many years more. But there's no need to depend on it depending on the way things have been, too often leads to saying no to what God is doing. As I reflect on this passage, I find myself growing quite excited about this kind of life in the spirit, actually. What we've been given in the past has been good for a time, but in life with God, it's not just going to stay that way. This is a live way we're following, an active spirit. As I look back on this past semester, I'm struck by how dead it feels. In order to meet all my responsibilities, I lived a highly scheduled life moving efficiently from one task to another. And it feels very much as if I was living according to an old order of things, not necessarily a bad order, but an old one, one that wasn't attuned to where God is at work doing something new.
2: The other thing I really noticed in this passage is that there's a reason Peter is in touch with what God is doing. He had that vision while he was praying. And if you look at the story in the previous chapter, apparently he spent enough time praying that he got hungry and asked for a meal to be prepared. And then he kept praying and it was while the meal was being prepared that he had this vision i hear two things here if i want to know what god is up to i need to spend time listening and when god speaks god may speak through things that may already be on my mind food in peter's case but then through circumstances in the spirit that message can be transformed into something new or you might have already spoken as when Peter remembered that Jesus spoke about baptizing with fire. But in light of God's action now, the words take on new meaning. When we remember that the words that God has spoken in the past, God can continue to speak through them in new ways. I wonder if we can spend a few minutes in silent reflection on where our life, where in our life, we hear God inviting us out of old ways of doing things, ways that maybe we're good for a time. Where God might be inviting us into something new. So I'll pause here for just a minute or two, and uh, let us all reflect on where in our life we hear God inviting us out of old ways of doing things, and into inviting us into something new. I think for us, one of the uh, one of the old ways which I think we're being invited out of is uh, this need to be very efficient and productive, as Tisha was saying, and get a lot done. Um, That's probably important to keep doing that. Um, But I think God is inviting us, telling us that doesn't need to be your focus. God is inviting us to rest in him that's what it feels like to to us and that we need to find ways in this in this next year of of kind of responding to that invitation, resting in god um, maybe this means um, spending a bit more time walking in the woods or, or simply being silent before god we're still not sure quite how we can you know fit this into our, our tightly scheduled life um, which of course is part of the problem right so we, we kind of continue to prayerfully consider uh, ways in which we can respond well to that invitation that we feel. I also wonder if we can reflect on what God is inviting us into as a community. I feel like that word, uh, I really like that word invite. It doesn't have that you should be doing this feel to it. That both makes me feel guilty and therefore also makes it harder for me to do what I should do. No God's inviting us into the wonder of life with him. Maybe that's part of what makes life with him such a wonder. So, are there old ways of being a community here that were good for a time, but that God is inviting us out of now? Are there new ways that God might be inviting us into? I pray that we can all continue to listen to him, that he might open our eyes to all the ordinary, everyday things through which he continues to lovingly speak to us. Amen.